0: A new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm super fired up for today's guest. I've got John Morris. He's the Executive Director of Brand over at Club Colors. He has 25 years experience in sales and sales leadership management. His heart is really in building culture, inspiring growth, and creating brand experiences. John, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you, Colin. I appreciate it very much. Great intro, man. I appreciate it. Yeah,
0: man, short and sweet. Yeah, right, just like, just like me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. Sometimes I get some bios before we hit recording and I'm like, really? If I read that, we're going to have yeah. nothing to talk about. Yeah, there you go. So, all right. So take us back. Where did your sales journey start? Let's dig in there. I know there's going to be tons to talk about, tons that we're going to learn from and dig a little deeper, but take us back. Like where, what, where were you selling at first and where did it all, all start? Right. So
1: this is, this is pretty fun actually. Um, as I was, after I had uh, run a painting company through college, I was kind of in yeah. that gap of like finishing college, what am I gonna do? I wanna do stand up, I wanna act, but I knew I needed to make some money and I wasn't ready to go like get a career yet, right? So I got this job for a company that sold paintball park tickets and like cruise tickets. So like, Lake Mich- think Lake Michigan, right? Summertime, little party yeah. boats, right? Or think about these, these uh, Paintball parks, right? This is when paintball just started coming out, like um, late ni- mid 90s, right? And there was paintball parks surrounding our area. So this company that I was representing had come up with a deal where they go to the paintball park, they essentially say, hey look, we're gonna sell your normally $25 per ticket, but we're gonna put 10 of them on, so it's a $250 value, but we're gonna sell it for $39.99. But if you buy three, it's a total of $60, right? And the, the deal was, I would go in in the morning, dude, hair down to his back, you know, he's just bouncing around just a complete uh, knucklehead of a boss, but it was a good time. And yeah. he would give me $400 worth of inventory and whatever I sold, I kept half of, right? And we had like the like the, the carbon paper, like credit card thing, right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, luckily in the Chicagoland area, man, there's, I, I lived down by Wrigley Field at the time. So there's, you know, DePaul, Loyola, University of Chicago. I mean, you've got Northwestern, they're all down there, right? So I'm 21 years old, 22 years old, so I'm still essentially a college kid. So I'd fill up my backpack with these paintball park tickets and Mm. um, I would go to the college campus and I'd wait for somebody to open up a dorm room door and I'd go, oh, I forgot my pass, hold the door for me. And I'd sneak in the dorms and then I would go door to door in the hallways and like sell the paintball tickets to these college kids. Next thing I know, I've got like three phone numbers. I know where the party is that night, you know, I got people going, hey, this is cool. I'll buy these, you're gonna come with. And uh, that was kind of where the journey started. And I got that. I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Like if, if uh, you know, if you got a really good presentation and some energy, you can convince people to do some stuff. I mean, it was a total hack. Mm-hmm. It was a kid, but um, I recognized right there that I had some skill set to persuade and influence people. Here's the mm. amazing thing. I had never once been to the paintball park, had never played paintball, had no idea what a paintball <laughs> park looked like. But, man, I painted a picture about those paintball parks. I, I heard heard one story about how there was, you know, like cars flipped over. And I'd heard some stories and I did a little bit of research of what they might have looked like. And I painted this picture of, you know, you and your 10 friends are going to go out there and you're gonna be, you know, hiding behind trees shooting each other. I just painted this amazing picture. And then what I figured out was if I taught them how to make money at it. So what I taught them was, if they bought three, right, for $60, on each ticket, it said $25. So it was a $25 value. So I said, if you rip the ticket off and you sell each one to your friends for 10 bucks, they think they're saving 15 bucks. You're actually building up a whole bunch of money because you bought, you know, you bought 20 of these for 60 bucks. So now you're, I'm teaching them how to make money. And then I said, then you throw a party with the extra cash. Now you're the coolest guy on the campus. And that was oh, the wow.
0: sales presentation. Wow, wow. So uh, there's a lot of little gems in there, right? A Little bit of storytelling, yeah. Um, you know, uh, um, also, it's almost like you built your own little MLM. <laughs> yes, that's what I did. I'm like... Paint, Paintball Park Empire. Yes,
1: I had the guy who was actually running the MLM teach me and kind of hustle me that you go sell it and I'll take half, you take half, right? And he's killing it. And then I taught them how the, the customer uh, which was another, you know, college age kid. How they're gonna make money? So I figure out like, hey man, do you like to throw parties? Hey, you want to be the cool kid? Hey, you want to pick? You want to be the guy that's like the the, the the head honcho of the crew? So I figure out what their want was, and then I figure teach them how to ultimately uh, buy it and sell it back and make their money back plus some profit.
0: Yeah, but you also knew how to tie it back to what they cared most, right? Is yep. that like status, being a cool guy throwing yep. the party, having extra cash to do that, which had nothing to do with paintballing. However, it you know, uh, it, you got to know what motivates people, yep. right? And you can, you can influence people to do things if you know what the most important thing is to them.
1: Yes, it's the value behind the product, right? I mean, the product of going out to the paintball park, right? Was it is what it is. You're gonna go play the game, whatever. It's all the it's all the reaction. How cool your friends are gonna think you are that you came up with this idea that you that you uh, spearheaded this idea, and then afterwards you show them this amazing time, and then you buy the beer too, like you're the coolest friend ever. And the reality is, you actually you know broke even on it, but they think that you know you're spending big on them. So you know. Yeah a little bit of, little bit of a, a, a hustle. I obviously have learned that you've gotta be a, a lot higher level of a salesperson, but at 21, that was pretty creative, I thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you were having fun doing it too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. My, my I would say my favorite part of the story there is, that is some pretty innovative door-to-door. I always love people who've done any sort of door-to-door, yeah. Right. but usually door-to-door, Um, is like selling, you know, cut cone knives or like knockoff cut cone knives, right? But like, you know, making your way into the dorms and door-to-door in the dorms is pretty interesting. That's the first time I've heard that one.
1: Well, you know, I used to go door-to-door in Chicago, right? And just about everybody had, um, you know, in the mid-90s had a no-soliciting sticker on their door. People would always say, didn't you see the no soliciting um, sign on the door? And I would always say, well, those are the ones that I always go into because that means that if I'm able to get my story across, you're just putting that sign up because you're somebody who far too often says yes.
0: (laughs) So you're putting that up
1: to protect yourself from saying yes. So once you hear this, I know you're going to say yes. And they would giggle, right? And then next thing you know... Then 9-11 happened and you couldn't get it door-to-door on anywhere, um, you know, at that point. But back in the back in the day going door-to-door, um, man, I would get phone numbers. I would find out where the parties were. I'd make some sales. I would have guns pulled on me, almost got stabbed, you know, made some friends. It was You never knew what was going to happen in a day. But all I knew is if I cleared out my inventory and if I did it by noon, I was done. I could either go back and get more inventory or... Or I could be done for the day, and depending upon how nice of a day it was, would dictate whether or not I went back for more inventory.
0: Yeah, or if there was a party to go to. Or if there was a party to go to. Yeah. Or get inventory, then go to the (laughs) party. That
1: That might be a better idea. I probably should have done that. See, you're thinking. I I missed out on that.
0: Uh, yeah. All right. So that's kind of where you cut your teeth, yep. right? I mean, from there, where you're like, man, sales is for me. And, and what was next? Or or did you take a different different turn? What I
1: recognized was I had that in my back pocket, still chasing the dream. Dream fails, not good at it, not good at stand up. It wasn't really as passionate about it as I thought. I just like to be funny because I like to get attention, right? And, you know, uh, but, I, you know, it didn't seem like it was going to pan out as a career. Talked to a buddy from college, um, who was also a best friend from high school. His older brother is going to work for this consulting firm. He's been there for a year and a half. Is just absolutely crushing it. We've got a similar personality. He thinks I'd be strong at it. Sets up an interview. Next thing you know, I'm I'm in the inside sales department, and um, you know I'm making 300 dials a day, uh, reaching out. To the, oh yeah, you know that it's interesting nowadays. Um, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be the old guy on on the call. Right. But when I hear folks that have all this, uh, automation and, uh, dialers and, you know, things that scrub out the leads and the, and the dead numbers and all those things, man, I was, I was calling out of a file folder like this with people's pen marks all over it. Somebody called it four hours ago. It had been called 17 times in three weeks. You know, and you you, you get the guy on the phone, he's like, where are you from? And you tell him, and he's like, what is wrong with you people? You know, it was back in those days before all these things were invented to assure you that you didn't run into that. And you had to figure out how to overcome that. So, you know, if you made three hundred in a day, you actually only were getting off 10 presentations. You were getting hung up on and told to kick dirt. Um, It was a different animal. So those of you that are young in sales, you're very privileged.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of fancy tools, and I, I use a lot of them, and and and, but I also started, you know, va- manual. You know, my first sales job was like, here is the phone, yep, here is your script, yep, and here's a list of names to call, and don't use the CRM because it doesn't work. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> like, well, we used to have them on three three carbon copies, so we had white, yellow, and pink. And at the time, the inside sales manager who thought that he was, you know, uh, like right out of um, Boiler Room. I mean, and he kind of was. I think he was Boiler Room <laughs> before Boiler Room was Boiler Room. I mean, think that Ben Affleck's <laughs> character was he would, him. I mean, he's that was that good, just yes. decked to the nines and had the voice like this, it. right? And just was like high energy. He would take the the one lead, right, and he would split it into the three piles he go to three yeah. different reps and give the same exact leads to three reps. Well, none of us knew this. He's like, fresh leads, man, fresh leads, fresh leads. You're all calling the same stuff. And it was just <laughs> a race to see who got there first. So you're on the phone with a client, and the guy goes, hang on, I got another call coming in. And then he comes back on the phone, and he goes, I'm talking to a guy from your company right now. And then you look over and you're like, Bruce, hang up, I'm already out with that guy, right? <laughs> and, you know, and it's just a complete race to that. And, you know, that it was fun though. Those, you know, getting down and dirty and just into it. It wasn't really good for a reputation of the organization, man. But you learned a lot about how to overcome objections and kind of think on your feet. Um, yeah. You don't get to, the objection. How to of, deal of with getting your teeth like, kicked in. Oh yeah, yes. The, this is my third set.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, I mean, it sounds like that was your first inside sales yeah. job, right? Very different from, you know, knocking on doors, you know, sounds like maybe you learned some good things and bad things there. Kind of you know, like my first I had first an sales interesting job, right? journey
1: in that I went to the, after nine months, um, I was not a big numbers guy. I was a high, my sales were quality sales though. Like I got pretty good engagement, I got a lot of detail and I found pain. And that allowed me when I handed off to the next level to increase the odds that we were going to engage in a bigger project. And that was how our company made money. Um, so I was kind of the quality guy, I was never the big numbers guy. Um, so I went to the sales manager, you know, right? and I said, look, if you like me and you think that I'm talented and you think that I have a future at this organization, you have got to get me out of this room. And I, this mm. was about nine months in, and I had done about a million dollars in, in what we call cash collect, bill hours, um, which was you know top top 15, top 20 in, in the company at that, in that time frame. nothing huge, but decent enough. And yeah. um, I said, you got to get me out of here. And well, I guess a week earlier, one of the recruiters had, had um, either been promoted or resigned or something like that. So I ended up going into recruiting and essentially hiring people for the role that I was in. And I found that that was really, really outstanding for me because I was essentially just telling stories about, hey, look, this is how much money you can make. This is how this is how it goes. And so I'm telling stories like I'm telling now, and that really yeah. sunk in. Well, that led to me getting heard by the ownership team. Um, they could listen in on calls and and just kind of see, you know, how people were were presenting and what the quality and what if they were living up to standards or whatever. And I guess. Uh, father, son team were list- listening in on the call and they decided that they needed a new sales executive for one of the regions. I got the phone call and next thing you know, I'm, I'm running a, um, a region at 24, 25 years old um, and kind of handed the keys. And these are outside salespeople now. Now here's the amazing thing. Other than the door-to-door paintball and cruise tickets, I had never done outside sales. So now I'm gonna manage a team of outside salespeople and I've never done outside sales. I had done inside sales and recruiting. So that was a bit interesting to be able to sell my sell my skills and attributes to a group of people that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years.
0: Wow. And was I'm sure there's some challenges that that came in that experience.
1: Well, first off, you know when you're 25 years old um, and everyone knows your age because you know, um, you're kind of squeaky voiced, <laughs> they've probably seen you at <laughs> meetings and, and you know, you you know, they're like, so tell me about your family. You're like,
0: I just, I just got out of school,
1: right? So you know, yeah. you, you kind of got that. And then you know, you're talking to somebody that you know is going in and interacting with business owners is fifty something years old and probably left a career of banking or finance or, or um, had their own their own business, sold it. And now they're doing this as a consultant, and now you're managing them. Um, I had to find my avenue for them. So Mm. I figured out really quick, it wasn't going to be teaching them Um, what it was going to be is asking them a ton of questions and then making their answers essentially be their idea. Right. So I would just ask question after question, after question to try and figure out what it is that they wanted. And then I would essentially repeat it back to them and say, so if I can help you to do this, that would be awesome. Right. And then I would make that my mission. Now that might be they wanted better leads. They wanted their leads better confirmed. They wanted a specific industry that to be in there. So if I could solve those problems, I knew I could win them over, so I would make that the focus. And then the other thing that I learned really quick, you want to you want to win people over, put them on stage. So ha. so I was hosting oh. conference calls right to to be the trainer. What the heck was I going to train these people? I only knew a couple couple tricks, right? So what I would yeah. do is I would put them on stage and give them a platform to teach the other their peers and other people, and I would deify them. Deify them meaning making them feel like they were superior at something within the organization. And always- Where did you
0: learn those skills? Where did you learn one, two things that I wanna just kinda dig a little deeper in here in, right? Number one, um, asking questions and learning, trying to get to the bottom of like what's most important yeah. to them, right? So- Which is a- superpower yep. as a salesperson there's a lot of people in sales that haven't even figured that one out right but then really understanding the concept that people never forget how you make them feel yep and taking that into you know giving them a platform giving them a stage making them feel superior giving letting them teach their peers kind of plays into that so where did you pick up those skills
1: so when I was in recruiting, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Shane Weatherall that was a, a senior executive there. And he was running the um, merger and acquisition team. And um, this guy looked like a real life G.I. Joe. He was a former Navy SEAL. Um, and he was the baddest of the baddest, not only from the standpoint because he was a Navy SEAL, but also just from business, just the way he carried himself, the way he dressed. I mean, the guy just marched through the building. And just a- everything about his presence, um, I-, I didn't want to emulate, but I just respected, I admired. And so one time I was on a call um, and I was kind of like being super nice and really presenting to the client. And he came and he just like hung up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> he-, he just hung it up. I was like mid-sentence. He just, he just hung it up.
0: Oh, um, I've had that happen, it stings. It, it stings. I was like,
1: oh, ouch. And he pulls me off to the side, he goes, so what do you wanna be when you grow up? And I was like, you know, I was like, I wanna be like you, man. He goes, <laughs> he like, puts his like forearm up against my neck. He's like, quit being so nice. He said, if you want to actually truly impact people, you need to hold them accountable by asking them questions. Quit making so many nice statements stop yeah. doing that he said you need to ask them questions and when they answer the question you ask them another question when you ask when they ask answer that question you ask them another one and another one and another one until they say I don't know when they say I don't know that's when you become a value because you do yeah. know right
0: what now, so I'm just I'm just thinking about it. could you imagine if somebody did that in the workplace oh, today oh my
1: gosh <laughs> I mean absolutely not I mean but back then, I was like, this guy's awesome, right? I'm, 20, you know, I'm 24 years old. I'm like, Mom, I got in a chokehold today at work. It was
0: amazing. Yeah. Like, what? After that, you're like, now I really want to be like Yeah, exactly. Right I'm,
1: so I could do that
0: to other people? <laughs> right. So
1: um, I just was enamored by that. And the next, like the next, after I like, you know, stopped tearing up and could feel my throat again, um, like the next call. I get on the phone with this with this client, he's like a recycling company in Texas. And he's just going off about all the problems of the world and this is awful and I can't get finance, I can't. I want to I want to acquire another company and all these firms talk big game and nobody can help me and I just kept going, why is that? So why do you feel that way? So how does that make you feel? So what would happen if you didn't have that problem? So why haven't you solved that problem yet? What's holding you back from achieving this success? What's your plan? Why don't you have a plan? All the stuff you told me to do. And the client went, like, I don't have any of these answers. And I said, so let me ask you a question. How are you going to solve the problems if you don't have those answers? And the guy went, I don't know. Do you know? And I said, well, I don't know. But if we could take a look at that, and right? And then I went into the closing. Yeah. He's like, all right, fine. I'll give you a shot, right? Yeah. And that, like, ch- he could
0: have said, I don't know, kid. If you ask yeah, me another exactly. question, I'm gonna
1: exactly, blow my out.
0: but it blew my mind. <laughs> I was like,
1: Holy cow, that totally worked! Now, oh, four weeks earlier, I would have been like, Please let me have my guy come in and meet with you, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm a really nice guy, and it wouldn't yeah. have been about, um, you know, his challenges or his pain or his quantum, uh, quantifiable cost of not solving that problem it wouldn't have been about i would have never gotten to that um so he taught me that and that was a life changer and then on the deifying part i worked with another gentleman who that was his big thing he could always get the client to open up by asking the client what their biggest strength was first and so what he would do is like most people whenever i talk to people that are trying to sell me they almost always ask me like what challenge do you have if you could solve a challenge that you have in the business what would it be I don't mm-hmm. care who you are, I immediately get taken back, like, who says I have a challenge? It's a it's a natural reaction, like, who are you to assume that I have yes. that challenge, even though I have it? I know I have it, but I, you naturally do that. So I was always taught um, from that moment forward was, you ask somebody what their biggest strength is, they're mm-hmm. most inclined to then be vulnerable and tell you what the weakness is. I'll give you an example. When I play golf, um, I'm fairly decent at golf, but my strength in golf is I'm really good off the tee. I'm long and, and accurate off the tee, and I can hit the ball pretty high, pretty far. get to the stop. I suck at putting. Well, if you challenge me on my putting, like if you said, what's your biggest challenge? I'm probably not going to tell you that, right? But if you yeah. saw me hit a drive and went, oh my gosh, that's absolutely amazing. I almost feel like I have to bring myself down a level because you're eventually going to see me putt and I don't deserve that high of, of respect. Right. Yeah. So I kind of bring myself back down. So that was the analogy. Like if you ask somebody what their biggest strength is, their likelihood is they're going to tell you about that. If you build on that and get them to build up their own ego, they will, as a good human, typically bring themselves down a level and open up and tell you what that weakness is. And yeah. and then from there, before you pound on that weakness, keep deifying them on the strength. So I learned that in the management aspect as well. Like if you deify yeah. a rep, they'll tell you what their challenge is and how you can help them.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna. You don't want to lead with like, "Hey, this is what you're doing wrong. Here's <laughs> yeah, how you're doing exactly. it wrong, yeah. and how I'm gonna help you fix it." Right? Yes. They're not gonna list. You gotta. It, it's almost like. Uh, you know, good bedside manner, Yes, <laughs> you know, one hundred percent. you know, you know uh, um, and, and, and with a prospect, like in, you know, more of like a B2B context, like, you know, you ask them, you know, what problems do you solve for your clients or what are your guys' strengths or how are you different than your competitors? Where do you stand out? How do you think like, there's just so many different questions that you can set that up and tee it up to frame it in that way to have a much more productive conversation.
1: 100%. I And I think that that's about a much more human element. I mean, imagine walking into a bar and you sit down next to somebody who's a stranger and you just go, Hey, what's your biggest problem? <laughs> like, what's your problem, man?
0: Yeah. You know, Yeah, you might get punched in the mouth. Like the, the, exactly. <laughs> right? I don't have a
1: problem. Like the natural, the more human natural thing is, is to say, Hey, tell me something good, man. What's going on? What's up with you? Tell me something good. Right. And, um, you know, I think people do that as an icebreaker, but I don't think they do that as part of their fact finding.
0: Um, well, there's also there's also another piece to it too. Is like they really don't care. They're just saying it because it's something they were told to say. That's right. Right. So it even comes off not very authentic.
1: Yeah. And well, if you don't also don't know what their strength is, you run into the the chance of them bringing that up as an objection later as well, and saying, well, I don't yeah. need that? Because I'm already awesome at this part. So why are you even, you know, presenting that to me?" Uh, so you know it's it's part of that situation of getting getting all the potential hedges and objections out of the way and not only their strengths and their weak, uh, strengths, but in their weaknesses as well. And that increases your odds of of first off, um, uh, you know eliminating the client as a prospective client if they're not a right match right off the bat. you want to get to the no fast, right? You don't want to waste their time or yours. And then you know, so disqualifying, is just as good as qualifying, right? Disqualifying to yeah. save their time and yours and then qualifying comes later.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's what's interesting. Sometimes they might not even know what they're great at, but if you help them realize what it is, ooh, ooh you better. know how powerful that is?
1: You know what's crazy, Colin? That's such a good point because I could, I gotta tell you, like if I ask clients what their biggest weakness is, they answer so much faster than when you ask what their biggest strength is. And I don't know if that's because they have humility, or if it's because, just as humans, we have a tendency to um, hone in and obsess on our weaknesses and our challenges, and we don't spend enough time validating and embracing what our strengths are. I'm not sure what that is.
0: I think it's the latter. I think people naturally have a lot of negative self-talk, right, or they focus on the things that they know that they need to improve, and don't give themselves enough credit, or don't even spend enough time having a level of awareness of the things that they're really good at. Yeah. And people genuinely don't probably ask them enough, right? Yeah. Which is kind of the whole point. So they don't spend a lot of time even talking about
1: it. Yeah, so maybe that's a refreshing thing as a salesperson. I know it worked for me, is to ask people their strengths. Maybe it's therapeutic for your your prospective client to yeah. let them brag about themselves a little bit. Who doesn't like that? Give people a shot to you know, kind of... Deify themselves and feel good about themselves for a minute before you go trying to help them. The other thing is eliminate the word help until the person asks for help. Don't use the word help. Somebody asks Mm -hmm. for help, then start talking about, okay, well, we can help you. But I always felt like when I said, well, we can help you to do this, people back up on you. Uh, And, you know, so I I always, I always liked the, the word, you know, we add value here. This is, this is an area where we tend to benefit others instead of saying, I can help you, I always talk about others. This is what we've done for others. This is how we benefit others. And make them come to you and then say, well, is that something you could help us with? And then you say, well, I'm not sure we could help you with it, but it certainly would be something that we would look into and we could really investigate. And I wouldn't want to be presumptuous and say that we could help you until I could prove that to you. And I I just think it's a, a little bit more of a gracious way of doing that without offending them. Tough to recover from offending somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like to frame it in this way. I like to ask people what their superpower is. Like, what's your superpower yeah. as an individual or as a business, you know? Uh, people like to think of it, I think uh, it kind of lightens the the mood with it a little bit. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do have a superpower. My superpower is this, you know? Um, so, Have you had yeah. somebody
1: actually answer with a real superpower, like they actually had a superpower?
0: Yeah, like they fly and save the world at night. Yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. I've had a couple of those. Nice. No, <laughs> you know, everybody answers it a little bit differently, right? But it, it, it helps sort of set the stage of what they think they're best at, right? Um, and sometimes and sometimes they really got to think about it. And sometimes that, like, the honest answer a lot of times, like, I'm not sure. Yeah. And then it opens up for more questions to talk a little bit about the work that they do and the problems that they solve and how that benefits their clients and then helping them realize what it is. And that's super powerful,
1: well, I have a I have a challenge for anybody and all the people that listen and watch this. Write down what your super challenge is, superpower is for 2022. You should know what your superpower is. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right. So let's fast forward a little bit. So, I mean, sounds like you learned a lot of things. Sounds like you had some, you know, decent mentors, uh, even ones that were willing to almost choke you out to prove a point to make you a better salesperson. Um, but you know, where did that lead you, you know, next?
1: Yeah. So, um, interesting, you know, I, I had managed sales teams for a while and got to a point where I was in a little bit of a, Uh, stagnation point, having some moral compass uh, concerns and issues. I was having some, I'm bored in this industry issues. I was having some, I need a a change. Um, And so I kind of went on this magical mystery tour of trying to figure out where the heck my next move was and boom, I find club colors. Um, So I've, I've segued about five or six uh, years of, kind of minouche that probably isn't worthy of podcast. Um, learned a lot of lessons of who I was and who I wasn't, which I think uh, that's self-awareness. It's important to know who you are and who you aren't. Um, and I, I arrived at club colors where I started as a sales manager about four years ago. And, um, that was interesting coming into a completely different space. I mean, completely different space, going from consulting services, investment banking, mergers and acquisitions, to promotional products, um, distribution, decoration, sourcing, just <laughs> like, and no experience in that whatsoever. Just no clue whatsoever. Um, and essentially, you know, going into a team of experts that have experience in it and are operating already at a high level, um, and essentially having the ownership team be like, look, you've got a great team. They're already performing well. Um, we've got a pretty good, pretty good name. Here's a couple things. First off, your job is not to create the vision. Your job is to carry out our vision. So they gave me a cl- clearly defined understanding of what they wanted uh what their vision was and my job was to you know be the the general on on the battlefield and to carry out that mission right and i feel like i was i've been a pretty good soldier in that regard um and you know what was really cool too is they were honest they said hey look it's gonna take you six six months to a year to figure out this industry like so don't think you're gonna come in here and start like making changes and advising people of how they should do this and do that. And man, they were right. I mean, there's there's a lot of intricacy to this industry, especially distribution of promotional products. You're talking about 9 million different SKUs, right? I mean, God knows how many different things are. It's like, you're not gonna memorize a catalog. You're not gonna memorize all those SKUs. Uh, becoming a product expert is probably useless. So their big thing was, Figure out purpose over product. Purpose Mm. over product. What's the purpose? First off, make the client the hero. Um, These people are event-driven. And what does that mean? They want the right solution for their marketing spend. They want it to go to the right place because it's an event, right? So they got to hand it out. And they want it there on time, right time. So that became our brand promise. Right solution, right place, right time. And that that has been kind of a magical thing for us. But primary thing was make the client the hero. So we started backtracking from there, and that's how we've kind of designed um, you know, our processes How as far as how we communicate um, as a team, um, as an organization, put the client first.
0: Wow. So I'm, I'm guessing, uh, just reading between the lines here a little bit, was there a lot of challenges and learning of learning a new industry? Still, is. well, in a leadership role,
1: still is. Um, so, as I mentioned, um, kind of the the message was, "Hey, look, analyze. You come from that field, right? You should know how to do that." So, I spent a lot of time sitting down um, with the top salespeople in the organization, the middle mm-hmm. people in the organization, and and you know even uh, factoring in some of the exit interviews what do people say when they leave like where where could i where could i take from that i recall having a pretty good exit interview with somebody that was leaving not because i had gotten there they had already put their two weeks in and i was there my first week and i sat down and said what what would be if you were in my position what would you do so i spent a lot of time when i got in there as a sales manager asking people if you were the sales manager what would you do um and I and I knew where I wanted to go with things. I knew that I wanted to create, um, you know, incentive. I knew that I wanted people to rally around um, the the vision of, of the ownership. I knew that I wanted to uh, establish win sharing within within the the team. I knew that I wanted to create better training mechanisms. I knew all those things. But if I just came in and just started rifling those things off without earning their trust and respect. And they're in the industry, I knew that I would lose them. Um, and that yeah. was, that was a, so the first thing I did was I sat down next to each one of the people and I said, if you were in this role, what would you do here? And then I started narrowing it down. If you were trying to solve the freight issue that we have as an organization to, to um, make it a better uh, cost savings and more efficient for clients, what would you do here? And I started getting that information. And then if I would you know, get approval to implement those things, I would make sure to give them credit.
0: Yeah, that's big, man. Some people don't do that. <laughs> no,
1: I know. I've had a lot of sales managers that told me that they were going to give all the credit for the idea. And then they went in somebody else's office, took all the credit. My older brother taught me about 15 years ago. He said, when you have an idea, make sure you document it and, um, and you write it down so that nobody can take your idea and verbally go sell it to somebody else. So whenever I share an idea with somebody, you can ass- you can be assured that I have it documented somewhere.
0: Yeah, so even the idea of uh, telling you to go round down your superpower, that has been documented. That <laughs> was courtesy of John Morris. Yes. Um, so, you know, what I love most about um, the things you mentioned there, tons of good things, but the one thing that stood out the most to me is – taking the time to get that feedback even in exit interviews Mm. right people move on for many reasons Um, it can be good experience bad experience somewhere in between Um, but taking the time to actually show that you care and get that feedback because that feedback is so valuable you know uh, they really got nothing to lose when they're giving you that feedback it's going to be pretty pretty real raw authentic yeah and by you know, the way
1: they're not the only one who thinks that they're just the only one exiting at that point leaving because of that but they probably have talked to other people you know this happens people talk they chat and they go out to lunch and other people can tolerate it um and the person who's leaving apparently couldn't so what ends up happening you make that change you find five or six other people who are like oh good thing they did that
0: yeah and sometimes it's simple stuff that you maybe just overlooked you know, you can't take every piece of feedback that you get and yeah. like, oh, we're going to make some changes. Yeah. Um, but if you start hearing a lot of the same things, like, ah, maybe, maybe we should take a look at that. Maybe there are some things we could do a little better here. You know, maybe uh, we can implement some things and, you know, save ourselves potentially losing other talent.
1: Yeah. I think the key is just to have an open mind that if you're going to build a team, like somebody ultimately has to be the decision maker in the end. Um, but you don't have to come up with every idea. Um, you don't have to take credit for every idea. Um, And, you know, um, you're probably best served to open up to other people and give them credit for the ideas. And, you know, a great idea typically has five or six other people's viewpoints on it and different spins on it and versions on it so that there's a lot of ownership of it. You have a much stronger likelihood of getting ownership of it uh, if other people have had a say in it or have been involved in it and received credit for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, too, right, is if you take somebody's idea and then take credit for it, uh, chances are they might have some other good ideas, and you're probably never going to hear about them. (laughs) No, you will not. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh, All right, so, I mean, tell me about, you know, maybe some of the superpowers of Club Colors, like the work that you guys are doing, um, you know, Tell me what you guys do well, what you do for your clients, for those that maybe, you know, haven't heard of you guys. Just give us the whole, you know, rundown.
1: Sure. You know, um, it's interesting because we had talked about this back when I was leading the sales team. We had talked about, like, what's the answer when somebody says, what's your superpower as an organization? And I think we all came to the agreement that um, what differentiates us in the industry is we run our business really, really well. The cool thing about the the leadership team and the ownership team and the management team is we all come from different industries. Um, And what we find is uh, that understanding of a multitude of different industries really allows us to understand the client um, and what their wants, needs, and desires are versus being experts in product in, in the industry, right? Like the product is the product. It's about solving business problems that exist. We just happen to use marketing and promotional products and, and brand management as the vehicle to solve problems that exist within a business. Like nobody goes out and decides if they're gonna buy promotional products just because they got a $1,000 laying around, right? Mm. Like there's something, there's a reason why they're buying that. They're trying to create more exposure. They wanna create an experience. They wanna create a feeling. They wanna be remembered. They wanna stay front of mind. Um, they wanna compel somebody to, um, engage with their business. They want to leave a lasting memory so somebody receives their phone call after that trade show, whatever that, that thing is. They want a client to be retained and to stay with them and stay front of mind. They want somebody to be third-party persuasion for them and tell the story about how cool it is to work with. So there's all these reasons as to why people people utilize promotional products. Um, so we focus more on that much the way that my interaction has been with Salescast. Um you guys reverse engineered your presentation with me. So you talked a lot about what my outcome desired outcome was as it related to club colors. What were we looking for? What were we trying to do? Drive drive um attention for our brand, become um have better brand awareness, become recognized on social media where people finally understand our story. Well, we do the same thing in our approach. We want to understand like if somebody says I want a thousand uh, uh, polos, we don't just go okay, great. What color? We hmm. want to understand who's it going to, because we may say a thousand polos is not the right answer if it's going to that demographic. You want to go this way, or a thousand polos might be, but maybe they're not Pebble Beach. Maybe they're Puma because it's all this demographic or age group, and that's going to go better over better, right? So we we start with. Um, You know, start with why type of thing I get, I understand that, but we're looking for what's the desired outcome, who's the audience, and what feeling do you wanna create? So if I was gonna tell you what our superpowers were, it would be two things. Number one, uh, we manage our business really, really well. And why is that a benefit to a client? Because you can count on us to get the job done, right? It's security. You know that we're gonna get it right. Number two, it's we make people feel a certain way. It's it's rare that people interact with somebody from Club Colors, whether it be through a virtual, on a phone call, through email, or especially in the building, and don't feel an energy lift. They feel an experience. They get an experience. And that's Especially
0: through. if they get especially if they get to go in the club, right? If they
1: go in the club, baby, then it's a whole other thing. <laughs> but even just coming in the building, like we call it the green cord advantage, because our color is PMS Three sixty, which is a, that kind of lime green, right? Yeah. We call it the green court advantage when people come into our facility, meet our ownership team, meet our our management team, meet our screen printers, meet our accounting team. People feel something, and that's design. That's by design. That starts with the top. It goes through recruiting. We recruit people that can that can um, hang with that game that we have, that culture game.
0: Yeah, man. All right, so. Before we wrap things up here, we didn't talk about this. I'm going out on a limb a little bit here. I like And understand. I'll have to maybe ask for permission. Sure. Uh, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission, as they say. Amen right? to that. Uh, are we gonna let people maybe take the logo challenge?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Logo Tell, challenge. I mean, for those that don't know what the logo challenge, listen up.
1: Listen. So logo challenge quick link we put it on a job form it's beautiful you click the link you go on there you answer five or six questions put in your information you select a product we have products uh, from apparel to blankets hats sweatshirts different things you can pick pick one product enter in your data with your your vector art your logo we will then get receive that you'll have somebody for office reach out to you and kind of ask you some questions and make you feel warm and fuzzy. And then uh, we will uh, get that product in house. We'll embroider your beautiful logo on there, and we will ship it directly out to you. If you follow Colin, you probably saw a beautiful video he did on LinkedIn where he showed the the experience of opening up the box. Thank you for doing that, Colin. Um, I ask one favor: um, if there's two types of people that we ask to take this either be an influencer, meaning if you're gonna take the logo challenge, please tell somebody who is a decision maker within the organization to take it as well. Somebody in marketing, HR, uh, communications, tip of the spear type, type people or people that would make a decision for promotional products within your organization. If you're a decision maker, please take it and uh, share it with another decision maker within your organization as well. Uh, the whole method behind that is we wanna to prove to you that our differentiator, again, is that we manage the process extremely well and that our quality will stand out and you will have an unbelievable experience in doing it and you'll feel great.
0: I, and I'm telling you, it's he made it sound way more complicated than it is. It's really simple to do it. And he didn't talk enough about the quality of the products. Like, I've received a lot of little junk chotskis in my time and what I got Bad was some top out. quality, top quality item with my logo on it. That's you know I wear regularly. It was a feeling, an experience. Um, and if you're looking to do that, you know for your customers, for your clients, for your podcast guests, for uh, whatever the case is, you want to check this out. It's a great opportunity. We'll drop the link. I'm glad that John. Uh, uh, approved of that? Yes. Well.
1: <laughs> well, Colin, ch- I mean, check this out. So we, we've got unbelievable vendors. Like this is Spider, right? This is from one of our partners at Alpha Broder. Thanks, Alpha Broder. I'm dropping your name in here. But I get stuff like this all the time. These are the types of things that we could source. We decorate in-house. And again, um, for us, we're not ever going to be um, a company that is about just moving products, right? We like to consider ourselves the premium within the industry so yeah um, you know we're we're sourcing premium high-end products and guess what service quality of product attention to detail and the feeling that you get will absolutely justify your reasoning as to why club color is a great answer for you i can't thank you enough for for um taking the logo challenge and for you promoting it but to your point um i overcomplicate things it's very simple and it's high quality
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll drop the link there in the show notes. We'll also drop uh, John's LinkedIn so you can connect with him. He has a podcast himself, uh, which is pretty awesome. So definitely want to check that out. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review. Share the show with your friends. Really does help us out. And I'm always listening for your feedback as well. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop me a voice DM, and I will get back to you.